0: It all starts with that music, doesn't it? That menacing theme that suggests evil is coming and there's nothing that you can do to stop it. By now it has to be one of the most recognizable pieces of music in movie history, up there with Bruce the Shark's theme in Jaws. And you can't hear it without picturing the intimidating, brutish figure of Max Cady, the remorseless villain at the center of this intense nightmare of a movie. Cape Fear is Martin Scorsese's highly stylized, Hitchcock on drugs take on a big-budget Hollywood thriller. Back in the early 90s, the director was still associated with smaller budgeted character dramas, many of them set in New York City, His most mainstream movie up until that point was probably The Color of Money, which saw Scorsese acting as more of a director for hire than anything else. While that was his job on Cape Fear as well, there's nothing formulaic about the end result. It's nasty, it's over the top, it's teeming with unpleasant things like rape, assault, and even dog killing. So can you imagine Steven Spielberg directing this? Because believe it or not, that almost happened. And also believe it or not, he was quite instrumental in bringing this deranged movie into existence. Yes, it's hard to believe that Cape Fear comes with the cute little Elliot and E.T. Amblin seal of approval. But that's just one of several interesting facts about the Oscar-nominated horror show. So smoke em if you got him, because we're going to find out just what the fk happened to Cape Fear. Quiet in the theater, please. <laughs> Look, I realize that you suffered in prison. There's no question, sir. You don't know what suffering is, counselor. Cape Fear is based on the novel The Executioners by John D. McDonald as well as the 1962 movie starring Gregory Peck as lawyer Sam Bowden, and Robert Meacham as vengeful psychopath Max Cady, who blames Bowden for the many years he spent behind bars. That film was a longtime favorite of Steven Spielberg's, who decided in the late 80s that he wanted to remake it, with an eye towards directing it himself. To write the screenplay, Spielberg enlisted Wesley Strick, who'd just written Arachnophobia for Amblin. But Strick did not want to work on Cape Fear, as he disliked its themes of vigilantism and righteous revenge. Strick was prepared to pass on the film and had a meeting with Spielberg to tell him as much. In an interview from the set in 1991, Strick described the meeting thusly, "...I kind of explained what aspects of the story bothered me, and he listened. And then when it was all over, he stood up and said, Well, I'm really glad that you're coming aboard. And he shook my hand, and as I shook his hand back, my mouth moved. My lips moved, and I said, me too. It was like, in person, I was unable to say no to him. Probably not the first, nor the last, who found it impossible to say no to Spielberg. So Strick went about writing the screenplay, with Spielberg being the director in his mind as he wrote. In the book Scorsese, A Journey, Strick admits that he was styling it for Spielberg's sensibilities. Legend has it that Spielberg was initially thinking of having Bill Murray play Max Cady. Imagine that movie. But soon he pivoted to Robert De Niro, who he had been friends with. Spielberg and Strick went to New York to talk to the actor about it. And while De Niro was interested, he did not commit right away. Simultaneous to this, Spielberg was attempting to develop the Tom Canelli book, Schindler's list for the big screen, but was hesitant to take the job on himself, thinking he wasn't quite the right man for the job. He asked Martin Scorsese to direct it, thinking he wouldn't back away from the violent material inherent in the story. But the moment he gave it to Scorsese, he started missing it, thinking he'd just given away a project he truly wanted to direct himself. Plus, the darkness of the overall Cape Fear story was getting to him. In a New York Times article, Spielberg said about his decision not to direct it, "...I wasn't in the mood. It's as simple as that. I just couldn't find it inside me to make a scary movie about a family being preyed on by a maniac." So Spielberg decided to take back Schindler's List and give Scorsese Cape Fear, enlisting De Niro to help convince Marty that he was the right man for the job. They went so far as to stage a reading of the script for Scorsese's benefit in New York. After the reading, the director agreed to take it on, wanting to challenge himself with something new. Spielberg would stay on as a producer, but without screen credit, and went off to develop Schindler's list for himself, which ultimately worked out rather well. Spielberg had one major condition for his director. The family had to survive the whole ordeal that Katie puts him through. When Scorsese agreed, Spielberg told them, you can do anything you want up until that point. One of the first things that Scorsese did was reimagine the script. According to Strick, they sat down for about four hours, going page by page, with Marty telling the writer what he wanted changed. Strick reportedly penned about 24 drafts of the screenplay, though he would eventually find that the actors would be coming up with a lot of their own dialogue themselves. But first, they'd have to be cast. With De Niro officially set as Katie, Scorsese looked at one of Hollywood's most sturdy leading men for the role of Sam Bowden, Harrison Ford. Scorsese asked De Niro to bring the offer to Ford, who expressed interest, but with a catch. He wanted to play the role of Katie, which would of course totally subvert his heroic profile in the movies. De Niro wasn't agreeable to this idea, so they moved on from Ford. One actor who coveted the part was Nick Nolte, who wanted it so bad that he attended the premiere of Scorsese's Goodfellas dressed in character. He thought that if Scorsese saw him like that, he'd think of him for the role. Scorsese wasn't immediately convinced, thinking of Nolte as a big bear-like man, very rough and tough, which was in stark contrast to the proper city lawyer that he'd be playing. But eventually, Nolte convinced him that he saw the character as well as the director did as a flawed individual, a decent man who has made mistakes and can't hold his life together. Nolte, a fierce method actor, would immerse himself in the world of public defenders for weeks in preparation for the role. Oh, Jesus Lee, I told you not to let him lie. him out For the role of Lee, Sam's exasperated wife, Jessica Lang was cast. So she wasn't overly impressed with the screenplay or her character, later saying the only reason that she agreed to do the film was to work with Scorsese. The actress got on strict to make the character more interesting, and the writer agreed that it was necessary. She made it quite clear when she took the role that she had a lot of questions that she wanted answered in terms of the characters. Lang would go on to say that much of the dialogue in the film was improvised. Nick and I really made up a lot of our scenes, said Lang in an interview. For the film's other crucial role, that of Danielle, the Bowdens' 15-year-old daughter, a wide net was cast, with Scorsese and De Niro auditioning many teenage girls, including Moira Kelly, Fruza Balk, and Martha Plimpton. Reese Witherspoon also auditioned and many years later admitted that she blew it because she was so nervous in the presence of De Niro. A 17-year-old Juliette Lewis met with De Niro in Beverly Hills, confidently telling him to check out the movie of the week that she had done. Lewis had been acting for a few years and already had the confidence of a much older professional. Telling the LA Times that she was confident in her abilities and didn't feel nervous when she met with the actor, she eventually flew to New York to meet with Scorsese, who gave her the role. It's gonna take a hell of a lot more than that, counselor, to prove you're better May. For his part, De Niro was very committed to getting into the character of Katie, constantly asking Strick to add more biblical quotes to his dialogue to reflect the character's obsession with Old Testament-style justice. He worked out strenuously every day, stuck to a meticulous diet, and when he arrived on set, it was estimated that he was carrying a mere 3% body fat. He also had a dentist grind down his teeth to make Caddy just that much more grotesque. Also cast in the film were the stars from the original, Gregory Peck, Robert Meacham, and Martin Balsam. Scorsese said he would have cast even more people from the first Cape Fear, but he ran out of characters. Shooting took place in Florida in early 1991, while the world was still soaking in Goodfellas. Scorsese was shooting the film in widescreen for the first time and hired acclaimed cinematographer Freddie Francis. While Francis was an Oscar winner for shooting The Elephant Man and Glory, he was also the director of several horror movies in the 60s and 70s, like Torture Garden and Tales from the Crypt. Scorsese appreciated that Francis knew the world of gothic horror, which would amplify the film's increasingly horrific atmosphere. To score the movie, Scorsese would hire the legendary composer Elmer Bernstein to adapt Bernard Herrmann's memorable score from the original film. Bernstein had been friends with Herrmann, who died in 1975 soon after scoring Scorsese's Taxi Driver. Bernstein admitted Herrmann would've killed him for reusing his Cape Fear score, and he also found it a difficult film to work on, saying he went around for weeks after in a state of depression. The film's most famous scene, which sees Katie seducing Danielle in her school's auditorium, was shot without rehearsal. Originally envisioned as a more suspenseful scene, with Danielle attempting to flee Katie, the decision was made to make it much more intimate, and therefore more troubling. Scorsese set up two cameras, one on each actor, and let them go without planning it ahead. The infamous moment where Katie sticks his thumb in Danielle's mouth was improvised, though Scorsese had told Juliette Lewis that De Niro was going to do something. Lewis later said about the scene, I'll tell you exactly what it felt like. Emotionally, like someone walked up to you, penetrated you, and then walked away. Scorsese ended up using the first take they shot for the final cut. The film's second most notable scene is the brutal assault by Katie on Ileana Douglas's character. Douglas was Scorsese's girlfriend at the time, and it was she who recommended the character be more than just a drifter, which is who she was in the original drafts. When the time came to shoot the scene in which Katie imprisons, beats, and rapes her, Douglas found the experience grueling, saying the scene took two full days to shoot, with the first day lasting 17 hours. She also said she had never cried so much in her life. When the film was eventually released in November 1991, some critics found the violence and intensity to be a bit much, but audiences ate it up. It made an impressive $10 million on its opening weekend, on its way to a $79 million dollar tally in North America alone. De Niro and Lewis both earned Oscar nominations, but unfortunately neither won. And of course, it allowed The Simpsons to do one of their finest parodies of all time. Cape Fear continues to divide audiences to this day, which is why we're still talking about it. It contains a sort of primal power that, like it or not, creeps under your skin, bringing you face to face with true evil. It's not subtle, it's not sweet, and it's not easy to forget. It's pure Scorsese. We can beat that son of a bitch, the two of us together working as a team.